You're listening to the Tumbling Saber Podcast, a member of the Star Wars Commonwealth Podcast Network. Check us out on the web at StarWarsCommonwealth.com, on iTunes, Facebook, and Twitter, and take your first step into a larger world. everybody welcome back it's episode 107 of the tumbling saber podcast merry christmas to everybody happy belated christmas i hope santa treated you all very very well uh my name is kyle and i'm steve and we're back to kick around the last jedi just a little bit more so dense is this movie that it warrants another general review show so steve how was your christmas man we're talking we're talking in the past so we're projecting into the future Predict how your Christmas is going to go. Uh, Christmas uh, was great. Um, <laughs> uh, no, every year now, uh, since my husband and I moved in together, we split Christmas. His family does Christmas Eve. Mine does Christmas Day. So his family is maybe a 20-minute drive. His aunt does it. So we do, you know, all the seafood. We do all the Christmas Eve classics. Um, and then Christmas morning, we drive down to Long Island for my family. Do you guys do traditional Italian Christmas stuff? Um, yes and no. I I think you know we kind of just we pick and choose. <laughs> like seafood is do. a pretty big thing, right? In in Italian for, at Christmas time. Yeah, the Ita- the Italians do the uh, the seven fishes. You're supposed to have seven seafood dishes. Um, so it's a mix. Like his uncle makes a really good uh, New England clam chowder. Oh, um, yeah, so it's delicious. Um, his other aunt brings a sushi platter so we get a little quirky with it um what else do they do a sh- you know shrimp cocktail um something baked you know like a salmon um my grandma tends she makes a really good kind of like a uh, she calls it a scungili salad i don't know if that's the official name or that's just an old grandma like a scungili i don't know if that's a real thing or not <laughs> a scungili i don't know but it, sa- it sounds good it sounds italian yeah, it's like squid and stuff. I think scungil maybe it's squid in Italian. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or it's just a, a Americanized Italian. I have no idea. But what about you? Um, well my my wife and I have hosted Christmas every year since 2006, I believe, except for one year when our daughter was was 3 weeks old. And so it was like, uh, nope. Not doing it this year, people. You want Christmas, you host. And so my mom hosted that year. Uh, but yeah, every, you know, 10 of the past 11 Christmases have been Shea New. <laughs> <laughs> Same deal this year. But we're not doing turkey. We're doing, we're doing some, a, a, nice, a really nice pasta dinner. Might even have some homemade pasta involved. We'll see how that plays out. Delish. Yeah. Anyway. I am in, yeah I'm, saying I'm in love with it. I have a, a homemade pasta machine thing. I love using that. Yeah. It's a lot of work, but... Boy, oh boy, is it worth it. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about The Last Jedi, man. Oh, so much to talk about. <laughs> I, I've been trying to get most people on the Commonwealth on. I haven't gotten everybody yet, but hopefully I will. It's still very young in this movie's life, so we have we have time in front of us. But Two you're years. here tonight, <laughs> and that's going to be good enough, man. So what, 
let's go back to the night of December 14th. And I, we all know how, you know, we're all extraordinarily excited as the minutes tick down. And I'm sure you're like everybody else. The day of was a complete write-off. Uh, am I right with that? Oh, I, I wasn't thinking about anything else. <laughs> nope. No work not, was not done. Not the people that need you in, in your job. <laughs> Sorry, people. Today, you don't get Steve. It was weird. I had butterflies in my stomach kind of throughout the day. It, this is probably the most, you know, excitement I felt for a Star Wars movie. You know, I felt it for Force Awakens, but I think just kind of the anticipation and all the speculation. I joined this podcast in the interim. I think there was just so much buildup. I was just, you know, really feeling that excitement. Yeah, I, I know. I don't know if in this era, if anything will top The Force Awakens just because of the delay and the newness. And we, you know, still was so unbelievable that Star Wars was back. But this one had a different vibe, at least for me, in that I had no idea what was coming. I I think I the more I think about how I handled my approach to this movie uh, earlier this year in 2017, I I, I kind of tapped out on spoiler reports. And I just stopped bringing them to the show, and I stopped reading about them. I that I think that was maybe in this late spring, maybe early summer. I just said, mm-hmm. "It's enough." It's, I, I keep forgetting to give spoiler warnings in the podcast, and that probably drives people nuts. So I'm out. I'm just gonna try and phase out spoiler reports, and it worked, and it made my experience a whole hell of a lot better because I knew nothing going into this movie, really, uh, other than what was in trailers. I had no clue about Snoke, uh, no clue about, actually, I heard, I had heard that Leia was going to be injured, but I didn't know how she'd save herself. Um, Luke, Luke's mindset, his characterization, didn't really get much of that, certainly didn't know how his fate was going to end up. So this turned out to be a really, really satisfying experience. The more I look back on it, the more I go, yeah, that, for the saga films, I think that's kind of how I want to treat things. Mm-hmm. And then standalones, I might say, I might take a different approach. I might, for Han Solo, I might spoil myself a little more. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know, I tend to have the same experience. So this was the least spoiled I was for a for a Star Wars movie. Well, I mean, since I got into Star Wars relatively later, you know, Force Awakens was was technically my first Star Wars movie in a theater. So everything else, I kind of already knew the lore. Everything was pretty much pop culture knowledge. Um, yeah, and then Force Awakens, I feel like I heard the you know that was I heard a lot that I didn't really want to hear. I didn't know the kind of the big spoilers, but uh, yeah, I pretty much like like you, I kind of just steered clear of everything besides uh, the main trailers. Yeah, even even um, TV spots. At a certain point, I I think in you know say as of. Uh... I don't know, December 10th or 8th or so, in that last week, I just completely tuned out. It was great. <laughs> yeah, although I did like the Don't Spoil This trailer um, that they had. I like those. I didn't even know that those were official. I thought those were fan-made. Nope, nope. I forget what show I was watching. Um, maybe it was something on FX or some some network was the first time. And it was, I was watching the episode live, whatever it was. It might have been... I actually, I don't even remember, but, um, yeah, I was just shocked. Like, I was like, Whoa, what is this? And, you know, I'd never really heard, you know, the term spoiler in a, uh, official trailer before. Yeah. It's like, well, it's like Lucasfilm's finally in on the joke. The spoilers guys ease up. Yeah. 
No, I thought it was great. I mean, I, I really did think it was a fan-made thing, though. But it was only after the fact, after seeing the movie. And I was home late Saturday night after seeing the movie again. I was just catching up on some PVR stuff. And I, fi- I think I finally saw the commercial then. I said, oh, this is actually legit. Lucasfilm <laughs> went to this trouble. That's pretty cool. Wait, let, let's talk about that, because I don't know that we really talked about that in our la- last podcast. What did you think of the marketing of this movie? That they didn't give us TV clips along the way. We just got TV spots and and trailers. They you remember last year they gave us uh, for uh, sorry for the Force Awakens we got TV clips galore. Not this time. Did, did that help or hinder the process? Oh, it certainly helped. I mean, I'm a fan of uh, you know having a little mystery before going into a movie. I don't want to know what's going to happen if you know after every turn and you know. I don't like seeing a whole movie in a trailer. I like that, you know, we got the main trailer, you know, towards, you know, as we got closer to the release date. Yeah, we got some TV spots, but yeah, no, I don't think there were any like Jimmy Kimmel live exclusives. I don't, I don't think, um, cause I, I think when he had the cast on, they didn't even bring a clip with them. No. Um, and I, I, you know, I was, I was telling anybody who would listen, watch tonight. You'll get a clip. Just check it out. <laughs> and they brought nothing. Yeah, I I, I like that, and and I, and I think uh, you know there, there. I mean, there was just so much mystery built into it. Like you know, this is completely new territory um, for the franchise, and and I think they wanted to have that. You know, I think if they build up the mystery for the from from a marketing standpoint, it would draw more people in, right? Like, oh, why shouldn't we spoil this? Oh, you know, why are they not releasing this? You know, it's just, you know, it was really a good tease. It really was. I mean, they they made a point of keeping certain things close to the vest. And as it turns out, it was a, probably a strategic decision to keep everything as tight as possible. I mean, they don't need to market this movie. No, they did. Star I mean, Wars TV spots itself. were everywhere, right? Every, I think there was on, I think it's YTV, which is, uh, you know, youth television here in Canada. Where we get a lot of um, a lot of kitty cartoons, but for I guess for like the eight and upset, it every commercial break had one TV spot to it. It was it was an absolute bombardment. So they did market it pretty hard, but I guess they didn't really need to. I mean, everybody mm. knows Star Wars coming, right? Yeah. Anyway, I think so, uh, it depends on the market they're trying to. You know, if they were trying to reach a younger generation, maybe they market more towards youth channels. I don't know. I, yeah, it's it's hard to say. It's hard to say. I mean, I think they might start going down that road, mm-hmm. but uh, time will tell. So you're in the theater, the lights come on, come or go down. You watch the movie, and what's your initial reaction as the lights come back on? Eh, so <laughs> it's interesting. I, um, I didn't. I wasn't disappointed. I think that's the big difference. I think a lot of people felt disappointed. I was conflicted, but 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 more so, I think, because I didn't know how to feel. You know, I think, uh, you know, I turned to Dan and I was like, I know I liked it. I don't know if I loved it yet. Um, I, you know, I definitely was entertained. I just, I think I needed some time to process. That was my initial reaction. Yeah, there was, I mean, there was so much that happened in this movie that we were not expecting. So I think that is certainly a very expected 
reaction, I think. Like, I know I was watching the movie and having a great time while there because everything was so new to me. But my goodness, like, when it was done, I was like, whoa, like, what just happened? I, I mean, need to I, see this movie, like, immediately again. I, I, can't, I can't possibly begin to even talk about this movie right now. So much happened. I think it was speechless. I, th- I think, you know, people say speechless, but it's usually just, like, conjecture. It's, you know, I was literally speechless. I didn't know what to say or think. Uh, kind of. I, I know. I, you know, I left the theater with the guys, and I was just like, "That was amazing. I, I love that so much." But I could not articulate why. <laughs> and in many ways, I, I still can't. Although, you know, the picture is coming clearer for me now. Um, but yeah, at the time, I was just like, "I, I don't know why I love that, but I did." I, I think I finally got to the point where I, I, I do love it. I do love it, and I think. It struck me because it, you know what it is? It's so against the mold of a typical blockbuster um, and what we've come to know Star Wars films to be. Um, but it really, you know, on, a, on the broad strokes, it really touches on what I look for in an, a narrative. Um, I said, you know, I, I think yesterday we were talking, it was after we were filming the Sithma special. Um, I, I, I compared it to Buffy and it really, for me, the last Jedi is Buffy meets Battlestar Galactica, which is two of my top favorite shows ever made. Um, and there's just so much there. There's so much richness, you know, not to say I didn't think it, it copied any of those properties, but there's, there's a lot that those two properties did that speak to just the human condition and the character driven nature of it. Um, And we'll get into it as we break it down, but it really does touch on, it hits a lot of points for me. Yes. Well, I guess let's, let's start positively. What worked for you? Um, I think a lot of the dynamics are what really worked for me. Um, I liked Ray and Luke their dynamic, their whole interaction throughout the film, uh, Ray and Kylo, um, their dynamics, Poe and Leia, Poe and, and Haldo. Um, I love that. I fell in love with Rose. Um, mm. I love yes. Rose. I'm not crazy about Canto Bite per se, but Rose as a character is charming um, and just brings a a, a light to the screen. Yeah, there's there's some effervescence there with that character that um yeah, you 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 can't help but smile when when she's on screen. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's so much fun. Kelly Marie Tran is is going to be a Star Wars treasure, I think. Oh, absolutely. I I I foresee a lot of I don't know how, but I think this character is going to get a lot of spin-off material. Oh, I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, no, she's she's a lot of fun, uh, and yeah, I like what you said about the the character dynamics, and you know, I I guess we should say that what worked for you and me really didn't work for a lot of other people, which is really it's been really fascinating and sometimes frustrating, <laughs> if I'm being frank, <laughs> uh, to watch like fandom kind of go at each other's throats over this over this movie, which is really. Again, it's been fascinating, but it's also 
been a bit tiresome. Um, but yeah, like for, for me, all of the dynamics and relationships and, and dialogues and relationships between the people made sense and felt natural to me. But for others, it really doesn't. Where do you, where do you fall on this? Does it, does, does it feel natural to you? Like say, say the way we pick up with Luke. Yeah. I mean, all along we expected Luke to be, um, I mean, we knew he was going to be beaten and kind of you know cut off from the rest of the world and um so i mean i wasn't shocked by the loop that we got um i mean i know some people you know they have their opinions on certain choices like him tossing the lightsaber over his shoulder or you know like little things here and there um but i was very much happy with the loop we got I mean, a lot of, you know, a, a big point that I, I, I tend to agree with is that there's 30 years of Luke that we haven't seen. Absolutely. Um, you know, there's so much growth. And they, and they kind of, but in this movie, they showed us the pivotal, the change. I mean, he was really ready to take out his nephew because he, he feared him. Um, and then kind of the guilt that he had with kind of fundamentally creating Kylo himself. Um is awful and i can't imagine the guilt of something like that like your one choice that you have to live with led to the deaths of a thousands yeah and you know even though it was a very though well, i guess depending on whose side you take in the conversation do you do you believe kylo that luke was trying to kill him in cold blood or do you believe luke that he had this moment of man like this kid's getting dark and i won't be able to stop him i better i better do this while he's not suspecting it. But then he goes, Oh no, what am I thinking? But too late, right? It's, it's, you made, you made it really, you slipped up and man, that, that decision was awfully costly. Yeah. I mean, they say like, well, there's, there's two sides to every story or three sides, right? Yours, mine, and the truth. Um, you know, I, I, I can't imagine Luke would be a cold blooded killer. Uh, you know, I tend to not, go on the side of Kylo, you know, I think Luke, you know, he admitted to his fault. So I kind of err on that side. Yeah. And I, I think we forget that the last, like Luke doesn't kill, right? I mean, he killed a bunch of Jabba's thugs and he shot up some stormtroopers in a new hope. But once he really f steps down the Jedi path, he doesn't re like killing is not really his thing. No, I mean, you know, he's, I mean, he so, I mean, we're kind of jumping ahead, but he's like, what do you expect? I'm not going to show up with a laser sword and take down an entire army. You know, that's never the loop that we got. You know, we he's not a chop him up, beaten down kind of person. Um, You know, he was, his mentors are Yoda and Obi-Wan. Like, they're not, you know, soldiers per se. It's more, it's more of a philosophical learning. Absolutely. And, you know... Um, when you go back to, to to Return of the Jedi, there's that moment where he's about to kill his dad. He's about to strike down Vader before he steps back from that ledge. So it's not the first time where Luke was right at that point where he's going to kill one of his family members, only to pull himself back from the edge. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's... I know people are kind of shocked that Luke even considered, even for the briefest moment... And it is a bit jarring that he went down that path. Um, but like you said, like there's there's 30 plus years 
Like, when we left Luke, he was, like, 23 years old in Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. And we, we pick up with him again, and he's, he's what, 55 or so? Right. I mean, he was still a, a naive... Well, not naive, but he was a child, and he was still new to it all. Um, yeah, there's, there's more that... There's a bigger gap in Luke's life that we don't know about than the, ga- the, the span that we do cover. So, so much could have happened to him. And here's one of the things that I think... Lucasfilm may have messed up on, um, if if we want to call it a mess up. Like, did did you read Legends of Luke Skywalker? Um, not yet. I know kind of just the general gist of the way it's structured, but I haven't read it yet. So the book, even to me, was jarring. <laughs> I'll say that, even though it's, I, I think it's kind of given the soft canon label. The Luke in that book is not the Luke I was expecting. I thought we'd get a little bit more of the heroic Luke, but it's it's you know it's not it's not that at all. Mm-hmm. But that book did absolutely prepare me for the Luke that we were going to get in the Last Jedi, at least from the standpoint of, well, he didn't spend that time gallivanting around the galaxy, taking out bad guys everywhere, because there, there were there were none left. There's nothing. Mm-hmm. There's nobody left to fight. So his his thirty year gap was mostly spent studying the Force, learning the ways of the Force, or uh, learning the ways of the Jedi, setting up his academy, recruiting students, all very peaceful stuff. That for 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 the longest time since you know the eighties, that's not kind of the way I thought about Luke Skywalker post Jedi. And we saw you know Timothy Zahn's novels helped us with that. Right, there was always another army to fight. Mm-hmm. So, so somewhere along the way, I thought, well, there's going to be some kind of grand adventure for Luke with lightsaber involved. But that's that's not in the cards whatsoever. I, I don't think it might come. But yeah, this, this Luke that we saw from, from Ken Liu in Legends of Luke Skywalker is largely the one we got in The Last Jedi, just with a lot more cynicism. I mean, with, you know... The new canon, right? Like you said, Timothy Zahn's uh, trilogy and whatnot. I, you know, the new canon. I mean, we're supposed to believe that there was pretty much thirty years of peace until the First Order showed us up, right? Like, there, you know, like you said, there's no reason to um, fight. There's no, yeah, grand lightsaber wielding adventure. Um, but correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the Legends of Luke Skywalker, isn't it framed by the children of Cantobite. I think that's what I read. It was uh, kind of yeah. Them. It's like four stowaways on a ship headed to Cantobite. Yeah, which which ties in very nicely to the story that the kids are telling at the end of the Last Jedi, with Luke kind of facing down the First Order, and uh, you know inspiring um, this new rebellion. Yeah, it, it's a that is a, it's a great tie. For a for a second, you know, while, while I was watching. The Last Jedi, I thought, are these kids kind of the same kids from that book? I, I don't think they are. I doubt they are. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the tie is there. The tie-in is absolutely there. But you know, to go back to my point on this, I don't, it's not, it's not fair, I don't think. It's on Lucasfilm's part to, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like if everybody read this book, if everybody was given mandatory homework, There'd be a lot less complaining about Luke, I think, or a lot, a lot less shock about it, anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's not, it's not right to expect people to pick up a book just so that they understand 
uh, a legacy character's mindset a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, I I understand the disappointment, but I think it, it really, you know, you look at the the central or one of the central messages of the movie. You know, it's about heroes and legends, and our heroes aren't always what we expect them to be, and heroes are flawed. Um, you know, Luke is also just a, a mere mortal. I mean, yes, he's for you know he has force powers. He's you know, but he you know he he lives and he dies. You know, he may he has to make choices along the way, and sometimes they're not great. Um, just like everybody else. Yeah, and it, you know, and, and I think it's hard for us to accept that our heroes are are flawed. You know, we live in kind of a post Marvel Cinematic Universe society. You know, we kind of expect kind of these grand scale superhero esque moments where Iron Man or the Hulk or whoever swoops in and saves the day. And I think we were kind of projecting that as a fan base on Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. But what we got was a deeper, more you know, character-driven story, which I, I think is, in the long run, better serving. Yeah, I, I will take the well-thought-out story. Or at least, that sounds that sounds snobby. Um, the not-easy way. Yeah, right? I, I don't it, want the fan service. Right, don't it would give be me fan easy. service. No, exactly. We, you know, it would be easy for Luke to show up, take down the First Order, but then ultimately, what do we learn? We don't really learn anything about the human condition. We don't learn anything about, you know, their their inner, you know, their inner workings. No, we get, we get. Oh, that was a cool look, man. Luke took down a bunch of walkers with his lightsaber and force powers. Wow, that was cool. And it probably would be cool. I mean, that was, I think, what so many of us, at least myself, that's what I was calling. I said Luke's going to take off from Canto Bite. He's going to show up on crate, and he's going to at least. Uh, he's going to show up and open a can of whoop-ass on, on the First Order. That was what was in my head. And I think I, I don't think I'm alone. I think I'm far from alone on that one. Right, right. Uh, and like you said, he, he like he said to, to Ray, and I think Chewie was there too, like, what did you think? I was going to show up and t- take on the whole First Order myself? But the, the ironic part is he, he does. Right, in, in a much more... Um... In, in a deeper, more meaningful way, he does take him down, but more with his wits and his his wisdom. Yeah, and it, and that's it's a, kind of a for me a direct tie to what Rose says is that we don't. What is it? What does Rose say? Right before she kind of passes out after crashing the speeders with Finn, she says, uh, "We don't win by fighting what we hate, but saving what we love." Like Luke could have showed up, I suppose, and and tried to do what he could in adding to the first order death count but it was he was better served or his services were better rendered by doing this astral projection thing and saving his friends that way so he didn't fight he didn't fight those he hated he saved those he loved and i thought that was just i thought that was brilliant others didn't think so and that's that's okay yeah i mean you know we're, you know, we're all allowed to have different opinions. You know, it doesn't mean one is wrong or one is right. It's just what speaks to you as a viewer and as a fan. Yeah, <laughs> we we got uh, three movies in the late 90s, early aughts that uh, for a lot of people did not land. But, uh, you know, they, they remain. And I think 
people are slowly coming around to them bit by bit as as time goes on. As, oh, and especially as as fans who are children in that time get older and have have a larger say over what's what's cool and what's not now. Um, I, I I think the Last Jedi is going to age really really well in the long run. I, I I think so. You know, it's funny with the prequels is you know I, I like I said I didn't see them in the theaters. Um, so they were kind of introduced to me as, oh, these are the worst. They're nowhere near as good as the original. And, <laughs> and, and you know, and it's funny. Is I went in expecting the worst and I came out relatively surprised. I was like, you know, they're not amazing. You know, they're not as good as the OT, at least, you know, comparatively, because I watched all six like in together. Um, and but I went I came out like, OK, it, it, you know, I took it for what it was. It was like I picked out what I liked and they are what they are. Yeah, I mean, if if I had to tell this whole story of Star Wars in, say, a, a two-minute stretch or a three-minute stretch without really going into the detail or execution, I think you're telling one of the greatest stories ever. But uh, some, it, it, I think what gets lost sometimes or what doesn't land for people is, is the acting or the details in the writing and stuff like that, or maybe specific effects. Yeah, I think... But yeah. the story, I think, is terrific. Absolutely. I, I think we do get caught up in the nitpick. Um, like, yeah, I mean, to get, you know, more specific into, into the last Jedi, you know, like the Carrie Fisher moment, you know, the Leia using force powers, you know, for me, I always wanted to see Leia use force powers. I, I, I thought, you know, there's, she's, she's also, she's Darth Vader's daughter too. Why shouldn't she? Um, and I think, uh, it's something that I always wanted to see. You know, and I think some people maybe thought it looked a little silly. You know, people say Mary Poppins. Some people called her a space witch. I, you know, <laughs> like she kind of, you know, for for a split second, she kind of reminded me of Bette Midler in Hocus Pocus. Um, but you know, it's so funny because the first time I saw it, it seemed to go on forever. I was like, oh my god, she's flying through space. When does this end? It's a little silly. And then the second time I saw it, it moved by so quickly. It just it didn't bother me as much. And I think. You know, a minor, you know, it's, it's, again, it's such a nitpick because, like, in my head, I could say, oh, you know, a minor tweak here or there. You know, maybe if they just framed it differently and shot it maybe from behind or a little more mysterious, you know, you didn't get this big swooping shot of her flying through space, you know, maybe it wouldn't come off so weird. So I think, you know, some people just had an issue. I think it's just the, in the ex execution, right? I mean, that's the big complaint about the prequels, right? The story is amazing, but it's in the execution. Um, so, but again, like I said, second time around, it didn't feel like it dragged as much because I was nitpicking it the first time. Um, I just kind of, you know, it's cool. It got it got its point across. The, you know, it, it did ultimately what I wanted it to do. It was just that one shot I wasn't crazy about. But you know, I, I yeah, they they took they made some weird choices in, in you know shot selection. It's a bit weird, right? I, I love the sentiment, like the sentiment behind it. Finally, seeing Leia use the Force like that. That that is what I take out of that that uh, that moment. Not that the fact that we did we got a Carrie Poppins weirdo shot. It's to me the scene works perfectly, especially when it's aided by John Williams' score. Mm -hmm. Oh man! I mean, I and then like the, the slow mo with Poe and and Kate Alconics and Finn. I I thought it worked out brilliantly. As goofy as it looked, I think it works out really well. Well, it's funny. It's, I mean. That shot, the the wide shot of her floating, was you know preempt was you know was uh 
That followed probably one of my favorite shots, which was just the close-up on her face with the Leia theme playing. And you see kind of like the debris or whatever kind of, you know, forming around her as she formed this like force bubble of protection. And it was just, I thought just that, that one shot also, I thought was a beautiful moment. Yeah, Leia had so many good moments in this. Small, small, like small subtle moments, but like classic Leia. Great lines. Yeah. Just the, the look on her face, the look in her eyes. It's 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 too bad because I, you know, I think Leia and Carrie Fisher, they were so primed to take the next step in this series. And it's it's such a pity that we're not going to get to see that. Yeah, I don't know what they're I think that's also another thing is like. I thought they would do some fancy editing and, and resolve her story in, in, in some way. But ultimately, I came out, I was like, yeah, I think that was like also one of the big questions. I was like, what are they going to do now? Like, I don't know how are they going to fix it. And does it does it do Leia or Carrie Fisher disservice to do a time jump and have her die off screen? You know, I think that's something that I'm not going to know until I see the film. But, yeah. but now I feel like that's kind of, I think we're closer and closer to getting that. Because if they're not going to CG her, if they're not going to recast her, that's kind of their only option. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's that's all I can see. That's, I think that's all that most people can see. It. This is a tough one. And that, you know, it's, this is one they had to be pulling their hair out over i mean i could like, i uh, wonder i wonder if if part of jj taking it over was was that he needs some extra leeway i i doubt that that kathleen kennedy reverses her position mm -hmm. that that they're not recasting not cging i doubt that happens i i suppose it's possible but yeah you're right i don't know i don't know how you how they resolve this with instead of saying uh I don't know if the, the next crawl is the first order has been relentless and in their attacks, General Leia has been has been killed. Yeah, I mean, I could see something where like the first line of the crawl is the the rebels mourn the loss of their general or something like that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. I mean, that's got to be the trickiest thing to have to deal with ever. <laughs> yeah. It's tough. That's why I thought, you know, maybe they would do some re-editing and I don't know. <laughs> it's tough. This is why uh, it is really tough. Why I'm not we, a filmmaker. We, can, we might come back to this after <laughs> as we wrap things up. But uh, I, I, you know, I don't know that we talked enough about Ray. Yeah. In, in our first review episode. And here, we, you know, it's like the central character of this trilogy. And we didn't I don't know if that we did her service, but I feel like of all the characters and a lot of people got a lot of screen time in this episode. Ray was kind of like on the straightest path. Yeah. Like, do you feel the same? Like, she got, she got there was I don't think there's anything shocking about her that happened in this movie. Um, I mean, the quote unquote shock, I guess, would be the realization of her parentage. Um, but I think she pretty much went where we thought she was gonna go. Uh, after the Force Awakens. Yeah, I mean, she I I. I I think Ray's a bit of, pretty transparent character, and I, I don't mean that in a denigrating way. I mean, this person is is pretty much the the embodiment of goodness. <laughs> and you know, she was she wanted to kill Kylo in TFA, 
And in episode eight, I guess, which for me, it doesn't sit particularly well. I'm still trying to grapple with this. And so I guess I would file this in something that doesn't quite work for me. Mm-hmm. Is that now she's trying to save him. Here's the thing. I, I feel like Ray, what I love about her, and maybe this is because I'm a social worker. I don't know. <laughs> but to me, she's just pure empathy. Right? She she gets it. She I feel like she understands people. She empathizes with people. Um, and yes, I feel like it, it, it's, it might have flipped like a switch for her kind of not forgiving Kylo, but believing that she could change him. Um, but I think what was good and what kind of makes it a little easier for me to digest is that I think if they had come face to face immediately after the force awakens, it would have been a battle right there. But I think because there's this, this separation, this like the force is connecting us. It's almost like a blind date in a way, right? It's just like, we're here. We don't know why we're here, but we can see each other and we're talking. And I think you know, over time, after several of those conversations, you know, I think it kind of, they could see each other as not equal, it may be equals, but, you know, as just people, right? There's no, yeah, there's no conflict. It's just a conversation. Yeah. And she has to come to terms. I mean, I guess she is maybe realizing that for, for some reason, the force keeps connecting those two, the person that she really hates the most. You're a monster. And why did you do it? Why did you kill Han? Like, she's really angry with this guy. And then, you're right, like, she she really empathizes with him over what happened at the Academy. Mm -hmm. That's that's the point where she decides maybe he's still worth saving. And I think part of it might be because now she's a little... I think she herself was disappointed in in Luke, right? I mean, she wanted this guy to swoop in and, and save her and save the galaxy. But now it's kind of like she's realizing it's kind of on her. So it's forcing her to grow up and make decisions for herself. And she's like, oh, crap, I I might be alone in this. And now I kind of have to see it from a a different light. That's kind of how I read it. It's like, all right, maybe I'm going to have to be a little more diplomatic about this as opposed to, yeah, jumping in with a laser sword and and busting some people up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, like she like she rushes off to save Kylo mm-hmm. in the same way that Luke sa- rushed rushed off to save his friends in Empire. You know, there's there's one parallel between those two movies, right? Um, yeah, All but very different, philosophically speaking. Yes, yeah, yeah. They're coming from different places, just just the act same actions, it. but different from place different places. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I mean, we're just talking about Ray, right? I mean, like we're just kind of. You said you know we haven't you didn't really um, explore the character too much in the last one, so um, I don't know. I I I love Ray. I I really think she's probably one of my oh, favorite yeah. heroes um, of not just the new trilogy, but just in general. Um, yeah, she's a, she's a top five character Star Wars character. For yeah, me. yeah, absolutely. I think she cracked my. I think we did this list. In the summer, I think somebody had asked us, give, "Give me your top five Star Wars characters of all." And I think she had cracked my list at five. I don't remember the the rest of the list. I know Ahsoka was there, Chewie was there, Luke was there, and that's four. I don't remember. <laughs> I guess that speaks to the fluidity of the list. But yeah, that she's on the list, no doubt. 
do you think that she how do you how does it sit with you that she went from hating this guy to wanting to save him and then by the end again it seems like she's closing the door um is it is it are we are we swinging is the pendulum swinging too much too fast or is her it's like slamming the literally slamming the door in his face uh sort of I guess it had to end there, right? But you got to think. I mean, with the weight of the situation, she doesn't really have time to to keep pressing Kylo, right? I mean, you know, she goes in, she's hopeful, you know, he kills Snoke, you know, here's this one kind of ray of hope there. Um, and then, you know, and then quickly he's like, nope, rule the galaxy with me. Let's burn it all to the ground. Um, which, on a side note, also an amazing point, but we'll get to that. Um, and I think she's just like, well, all right, if you're not coming with me now, this is kind of it, I guess. She kind of expected him to to come with her. She was so convinced. And now it's like, well, you know, the First Order's still going to be doing its thing. You know, there's like 10 people left of the Resistance, you know? So it's just kind of like a now or never situation. She couldn't really sit too long on it. No, and she, I, I, I think... In a way, I hope she's kind of given up on him. I don't know that w- what that would say about the character of Rey. Mm-hmm. But after, you know, she, she I, well, she didn't see what Kylo attempted to do with Luke. Or, and, and I don't know that she knows that he issued the order to shoot the Falcon down out of the sky and right. kill her in the process. But I, I oh God, I got to imagine that if she knew, and I, I presume at this point she does. Mm. She's got to. She's got to know that Kylo is as off his rocker. Is she, is she still going to say, "Nah, he's still redeemable"? Because Leia doesn't even seem to think Kylo can come back. No, I feel like Kylo has made his choice. Right, he's over the deep end. Um, yeah, I, I forgot what I was listening to, but they said, you know, if the Force Awakens is about identity, you know, Last Jedi is about choices. Um, and I think Kylo, he's pretty set in his choices. He's He's killed his father. He's killed his master. He said, you know, he knows what he wants. Um, I, I don't see an episode nine with ending with a redemption. Um, you know, and, and, and it's interesting. It's like, you know, Luke is saying, oh, you know, the, the Jedi has to come to they the Jedi have to come to an end. But I, I feel like in the same way, the Skywalker ha- Skywalkers have to come to an end. Right. I mean, here we are. It's like, it's very cyclical. Right. We talk about George Lucas with his poetry. Right. Anakin, evil, dark side, Luke, light side, back to Kylo, dark side. It's just kind of like a vicious cycle um, that I think is kind of part of the, you know, what's throwing the galaxy all out of whack all the time. Um, so I think, you know, having Ray being a nobody kind of ending this cycle um it, it works for me thematically do you believe do you believe kylo is ray actually a nobody i i tend to believe it um also that's based on lines in the force awakens right that's maz kanata you know i feel like we've gotten all these illusions that ray is a nobody and i think the fandom you know we force ourselves no how could she be a nobody she has to be a somebody you know but you know what this is the skywalker saga she has, she to, has be to be connected to somebody um and this you know and but you know what the power in the story is that she isn't 
a Skywalker. She's not a Solo. She's not a Kenobi. She is a Force-sensitive person who can break the mold and end this vicious cycle. Um, and then you go back to the kids on Canto Bite, and you have the Force-sensitive boy with the broom, and it's all about, you know, anyone can be a hero. And I love that theme. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's much more... I mean, there's some compelling stuff in making her... Okay, let's go, let's go back two years ago. I was convinced that she was Luke's daughter, mm-hmm. and he was staring his daughter right in the face going, I can't believe she's here. But, you know, a couple months after that, three, four months after that, I, I, was, I was done with that. I was like, no, there's no way. I don't think it makes sense anymore. I was believing Maz Kanata, and as, as the production of, of The Last Jedi went on, and we got little snippets here and there, yeah, I was I was totally off with that. I was just I'm like, no, she's she's I, I believe she's nobody. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I think it's more powerful to make her nobody, yeah. to let her make decisions for herself, and define her own path without the baggage of her family's legacy. Mm-hmm. And if and if people wouldn't believe that Luke would possibly kill his nephew, people would not believe that he would throw away his daughter. Right. I mean, that right. feels almost worse to me. Yeah, like I could never reconcile the idea that Luke or Leia or Han, if any of those three somehow managed to be her parent, that they would leave her with Uncar Plot. Like that does that to me didn't make one lick of sense. How could that happen? So for Kylo to say, "Yeah, you were sold for drinking money by junky parents." Okay, I can buy that they would leave leave her with Uncar Plot. That makes more sense. Now maybe there's more to it. Maybe there's there's steps in between that we don't know, but yeah. It, but why would he know this? Like we know that they're connected through the Force, and we know through the novelization that he seems to recognize her. Uh, but why? W- I, I want to know. I wonder how he knows about her parents. Um, I I, I feel like it was in the moment of you know, the kind of the forced conversations, right? I think when they touched hands, I think it kind of gave them a, a, a willing glimpse. Remember, she's like, I saw his future while well, he probably saw her past. You know, I, I feel like I feel like they so Ray would Ray knows the truth as well. Right. And he's like, you know, sir, you, you know, it's true. And she seems, you know, kind of inclined to, you know, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, and, and, and but again, yeah, yeah, I can believe that. There's some denial going on with her. Um, and you know, and just go back to Maz Kanata and the Force Awakens. You know, the seeking, the the longing that you seek is not behind you; it's ahead. You know, and you know, the people you're looking for are never coming back. You know, and it's probably true. You know, and and Ray has to be her own person. Um, she can't rely on a crutch of a family legacy. Um you know, or, you know, royal lineage or what what have you, you know, she just has to rely on herself and her own choices and her own, you know, it's about making your own destiny, you know, kind of getting out of this cyclical predestined chosen one business, which I think is so much more powerful. Yes. Steve, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Some may disagree. And again, that's fine. But for me, it makes it, it's so much more compelling for Ray in 2017 for what she means to so many people uh, boys and girls especially girls alike that this person does not have to be anybody special there has, doesn't have to be a special bloodline 
for her to do special things. I think that is just so much more powerful than, well, she's a Skywalker or she's a Kenobi, which means she's going to accomplish great things just because. Not because of who she is or who her character is, but because those midi-chlorians or that DNA that makes her Kenobi, that's what's going to shine her through. It's it's The, the success of Rey would be given to Luke or Kenobi or Han, like whichever person she ended up being related to. It's almost, I, I almost feel like that person would get the credit. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And you bring up the midi-chlorians. I mean, that's why people didn't like them. It predetermined your worth. And they've, they've stepped away from the whole midi-chlorian thing, oh, right? Oh, God. <laughs> they, they, don't wanna, they don't wanna talk about that anymore. No, no but that's why people didn't I like think, it. I think that's why kyber crystals now exist as a, as a pretty big talking point in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Broken Skywalker Saber. We didn't really talk about that either, but talk about a visual signal that this is ending. <laughs> Skywalkers are going to be no more. The saber is finished. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't even think of it as a visual representation, but you're very, you're so right. It really it just snapped in half, literally. Um, and now also she's going to have to make her own lightsaber, which I'm excited to see. <laughs> Yeah, was it was it Carlos? Who was talking about? Um, boy, I can't I can't believe I already forget. But somebody was saying, yeah, the, the idea of of Ray swinging around a double sided lightsaber. I think it was Carlos. If it was Corey, I'm sorry, Corey. <laughs> I was I I apologize to whoever said that to me, but I'll take that. Yeah, that seems pretty cool. I mean, just the visual style. I mean, again, yeah, that's her fighting style. Is the staff? She has to make something that is part of her identity and her own style. I would, oh, I would love that. <laughs> so, what what else worked for you in this movie? Let's let's talk about um, let's 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 go right back to the start. Let's go to Poe and his his bravado, which <coughs> made for some cool moments. Great, great opening moments with with you know. I, I think there was some real drama in those opening shots with a single X wing going up against a dreadnought. Yeah, like that. Beautiful opening shots. Um, I yeah, I love Poe the Flyboy Hothead. I, yeah, I think it's phenomenal. Um, again, a film about choices, right? Leia's telling him, "No, we this needs to end. We need to go." And he's like, "No, we could take down this dreadnought. We can do it." Um, and now all his fighters are dead. <laughs> all the bombers are dead. The majority of the X wings, all those fighters were dead. Um, and now he has to kind of live with that. But that, so, okay, that scene with Rose's sister, that was very Rogue One to me. And it was so intense. I love that. Yeah, that was really well done. Was the idea that she was kind of paralyzed from that fall, just laying flat on her back? I imagine, like, you know, fall on your back, you probably hit your head. You know, she's probably like, you probably can't get up right away after that. You know, um, and then her trying to kick the uh, the button down. Um, just a very cool, tense moment. Because, you know, the bomber's approaching, right? There's really no time to go up and climb, right? How am I going to get... How is she going to get this button to her the quickest way possible to get this done? Um, you know, I mean, had she attempted to climb the ladder, I'm sure she would have been shot down. Yeah, I mean, she yeah, she did give it a shot. And that's that's why she ended up flat on her back. Right. <laughs> right, I mean, a take two would only, you know, seal her her defeat. Yeah, no, that that was a 
a great, really tense sequence. Um, and, and yeah, like going back to Poe's decisions, made for some cool movie moments. A lot of things blow up, which we like in Star Wars, but there were actual consequences to this, not only for him as he gets demoted, but for the resistance. Like he, his choice to press ahead with his attack got them decimated. Yeah. And it was, it was a, it was a boneheaded choice. Mm-hmm. And this is where I start, this is where I kind of started to compare Star Wars to Battlestar Galactica, which I don't know. Are you familiar with the property? A little bit. So the, I've never seen the eighties version, but in the, in the 2004, 2005 reboot, um, it was all about the Cylons and the humans and the Cylons destroyed the humans home world. And it was pretty much just a four season long uh, space chase, right? They were just constantly on their tail. And in that, the Cylons were able to track the humans through hyperspace. Um, so it was just kind of like a, you know, a cat and mouse game throughout. So that's kind of where I got this vibe, where it's just like the First Order is now so overwhelming. Then they're now they're just kind of, it, you know, that story kept us in space. And I really appreciate that. And it was very... Um, Galactica did a really cool job of just kind of the on-ship politics who's in charge who orders who there were there were plenty of mutinies on the show that's for sure um so i just i kind of love that that turn in the story yeah well I, yeah what you're saying means is somewhat registering with me although i've i've only watched a handful of episodes and i followed it sort of at a, at arm's length uh i do intend to watch the whole thing at some point i have every i have all the episodes um but how do you feel about Poe being spoken down to by Holdo. This is kind of where where dude bros get their back up, and uh-huh. <laughs> I, I don't like Holdo because of the way she treated Poe. And... No, I mean Poe again. I love the character, but he made this choice, and it ultimately was. I don't. I don't know if I would say the wrong choice, but it ended up with a lot of people dead, and I think he definitely needed to get put in his place. Um, so I, you know, I, I tend to err on the side of Holdo there. And I think, um, not because I, you know, I wanted to see Poe get talked down to, but I think it was important to his growth. I mean, Poe needs to learn kind of a sense of responsibility. I mean, they're molding, you know, we find out in the end that Holdo and Leia really kind of had this plan for Poe and, and, and the leadership, but they're really trying to mold Poe into a leader. And I think he needs to learn these hard lessons so that way he can really properly lead na- the new rebellion. Yeah, not not every solution can be solved by just blowing something up. And exactly. By by the end, I think he figured that part out. You know, they're, they're chasing down or they're facing down those ATM six, the oncoming first order. It's it, the attack is not going to work. Their their plan is just not going to work. And he calls it, you know, peel off. A, a Poe from earlier in that movie would have said, no, nah, keep going. And he probably would have gotten everybody killed. This time he says, nah, uh, abort. So uh, there's definitely growth in that two and a half hour movie for Poe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's it was nice to see Poe kind of get stripped down a little bit. And, you know, not only in just getting dressed down with a, with a tongue lashing, but also demoted, slapped in the face, stripped of his rank a little bit. And again, like there, there's a lot of dude bros out there rolling their eyes, but hey, sometimes sometimes you need to learn some harsh lessons from people that maybe you're not accustomed to listening to. 
here, here. <laughs> um, so you're were you a fan of the Holdo character? I I did like her. I I think the only thing that disappointed me was that we're not going to get more of her. Um, you know, her kind of being a one and done character. You know, I think it would have been nice, kind of, you know, in hindsight, knowing now where we are with with Leia, it would be nice to have her kind of in the leadership role um alongside Poe perhaps um but i think her moment at the end you know the big sacrifice the that is probably and the way that was shot i mean i think there's i don't know a single person that says they did not find that amazing or beautifully done well, you know i don't oh. that's not that is not one of the complaints as many as there are yeah. that is not one of them you know, I, I you know for for as subjective as things like movies are as a piece of art, I think that shot is probably ob- objectively cool. <laughs> oh, just the sound design, liter- the literal lack of sound, and just the visual. Oh, it was I had chills. Like I could feel the hairs on my arm, uh, raising from that. Right, because you know when we learned about the situation in this movie between the resistance and first order. How are the resistance going to take out this ship? Either you just keep running from it, or you have to, or they find a way to take it down. Is that sabotage? That's kind of lame. How do you take out a, a ship that is? I think I think it was like 60, 60 kilometers across. Mm-hmm. It's just a massive beast. How do you take that out? Oh, here's how: you get a character to give the ultimate sacrifice and ram a ship named the Radis right through the, the heart of it. At light speed. Like, that is cool stuff. Uh, incredible. Now, I, I know kind of the big opinion is that it, that possibly should have gone to Admiral Akbar. Um, where do you fall on that? Um, Rather than him dying in the bridge. Yeah, I, I did comment that we, we lost Akbar and it was just sort of a throwaway thing. That that other I think commander I can't remember her name. Oh, commander something. She but she says oh we lost the entire resistance leadership, including Admiral Akbar. And oh like that's that's it for Akbar. Like he's just quickly written out. Fan favorite Akbar really. It yeah you're right it could have been cool to give him that moment but um hey there's a, there's a I guess there's a thousand ways this could have gone right. Right I mean there's yeah endless ways. Um, and this is just where they landed. And, you know, unlike the whatever, whatever the 10,000 people who signed that petition, whatever it's up to now, um, it's it's not going to change. It's in the can. It's in theaters. Oh, geez. No, that, that petition's like in, it was yesterday. It was at 30,000. Right. That, that's not how this works. That's not how Hollywood no. works. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's just, it's not happening. Uh, but let's not talk about that. Mm. Um. Yeah, I think I think regarding Holdo, I think Carlos said it best. I I can't put it any better that he disliked her for as long as they intended him to dislike her, and that's kind of the way I feel. Like by the time you re- you realize her plan, okay, I got it now. Because though I was very I was suspicious of her. Is she she doesn't look the part of resistance here? Is she maybe a double agent? Is she in cahoots with somebody from Canto Bite? Is she how how is this person fitting in? Like. She just doesn't look the part. Mm-hmm. But once once she offers up her life for the resistance, you go, oh, all right, she's she's totally on our side. Yeah. 
and and they have that moment with Leia and and Holdo about talking about Poe and how yeah I like him like he's a troublemaker he, he needs to learn he needs to grow up but I like him. I mean I know some people were put off by her just visually the character design. But, I mean, when you think back to the original trilogy, right, we're used to kind of like this scruffy, dirty kind of rebellion. But then you see Mon Mothma and she's beautiful in this flowy white gown and, you know, doesn't look like she fits, per se. So I think, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just, I didn't, I didn't quite understand the hang up on her design. You know, we, we, we get characters that don't look quite look like they fit. But ultimately, they, they have a role to play. You know, it seems like a silly nitpick to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I admit when I first saw her, I was like, that does, she doesn't look Star Wars. But I, you know, there, there's a purpose to the, to the choices that they made with this character. Right. I mean, I know she also has a whole backstory in Leia, Princess of Alderaan, too. So I know, I, know, I know some of that is explained. And unfortunately, some of this stuff has to be relegated to, to extended canon. Um which is fine, you know, but not everyone's going to read that stuff. Yeah, most people won't. Yeah. <laughs> um, how about the humor overall in the movie? Actually, you know what? Before we talk about the humor, uh, let, let's touch on Rose, Rose, and Finn a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, let's 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 stick with Rose. I mean, the breath breath of fresh fresh air character for me in this movie. She was Kelly Marie Tran was just terrific. Oh, her intro is probably one of my favorite intros of any character. Um, that first scene was just so... It was fun to see those two interact and kind of the beats in their conversation, right? Just kind of like, I had to tase two, three other people, you know, for escaping. And Finn trying to cover up that he's, you know, oh, I'm I'm just checking these escape pods. And I, I, I just, I love that banter. And to see her kind of still mourning her sister, I, I thought was very um, humanizing, and and it was just a great introduction. Yeah, I I I, I agree. She, I I think she was just tremendous throughout. Um, yeah, and I also I, I thought the writing of that of that scene, their initial meeting, was so reminiscent of when Ray and and Finn first met. Yeah, like I, I, I'm with. Yes, I'm with the resistance. I'm with the resistance. Like it's, it's Finn putting on, uh, a show again. Yeah, actually, I didn't even make that comparison at first, but I, yeah, I, I definitely see that. He's just sitting there, like, trying to put on an act. Oh no, no, no! Uh, I, I am with the resistance. I'm, I am just checking out these, these escape pods. I'm not actually leaving, except he's full of it. <laughs> That's exactly what he was planning on doing. Oh yeah. Um, but I mean, I'll say, I mean, uh, you know, aside from their kind of initial conversation, this, this, this subplot, you know, I know a lot of people had issues with, you know, and this was also for me, one of the, the, the arcs, not so much of the characters, but just the Kanto bite stuff in general, it was not my favorite. Um, and again, I, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate the story and the message, um, you know, war profiteering and, and yada, 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 but, um. I think it's, you know, it kind of falls in the execution for me. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people weren't crazy about that sequence. And I, you know, I guess there's a reason why we didn't see a ton of it in the marketing because mm-hmm. there just wasn't a lot of that, that planet in this movie. Yeah. I mean, it is so quick, you know, I mean, again, it, you know, it's easy to kind of get it, you know, get hung up on it, but all, you know, 
ultimately, you know, it's it's not that much of the movie itself. So I feel like it doesn't take away too much. Yeah, it, I mean, it is the key sequence for Rose mm-hmm. and in characterizing her and where where her mindset is about the haves and the have-nots and and you know, yeah, you just the dirty elites and and you know the downtrodden stuff like that. And also, I mean, this is why I mean, this was why Holdo. I mean, the, the reason why Holdo doesn't tell everybody her plan from from a stamp like from Ryan Johnson's standpoint is I got to give Finn and Rose something to do. Because if they know the plan, if every, if Holdo, which as a vice admiral, she has no, she doesn't have to tell anybody anything. Mm. No. She doesn't owe Poe the information. She doesn't owe that to anybody. She's the vice admiral. She'll tell who she wants. And if she does say, guys, here's the plan. Well, then there's no reason for Finn and, and Rose to leave. <laughs> and they all, they, you know, they sit in the, in the cafeteria on the ship and just wait. Right. I mean, they needed. So something. by not knowing the plan, yeah, okay, she's not going to tell us. You guys go take care of your plan. Mm. And that—that's how the, I think that's how that works. Um, I think what I would have liked to have seen. Um, again, too little, too late. I mean, can't change it. But you know, I wasn't crazy about Maz Kanata's little cameo. You know, I—I I, I feel like I needed more from her character as opposed to, all right, here are the clues. Here's your mission. Go do this. Um. I thought, yeah, I wanted to see more of her. I think it would have been cool if she was on the mission with them, to be quite honest. I mean, if she was like, I know this guy on Canto Bite, come meet me there. I thought that would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, what happened to Maz after after The Force Awakens? I mean, at one point in the in the trailers, we saw that Maz was actually giving the saber to Leia. Mm-hmm. So... In my mind, Maz was with the resistance. She was right. she was ha- hanging around with them after her her castle was destroyed, just you know waiting for her next development to take place. And I guess she's probably not one to let the grass grow under her feet, so she she you know she she moved right along. But it, yeah, I agree. I, I I don't think it would have been awful for her to be like Finn Rose, let's go, and you know they take off to Canto Bight. Mm-hmm. I would not. I don't think I would have had a problem with that. I mean, I just would have given her character something that to do. I feel like, you know, that she was really built. I mean, she, she was probably one of my favorite moments of The Force Awakens, one of my favorite parts. Um, I would have loved to have seen some more development there. You know, because she's, you know, she has such this this, this grandiose um, just vibe about her. You know, this kind of all-knowing, you know, she, you know, she's no Jedi, but she knows the Force. And there's just so much um mystery about her and i would have liked to have seen just a little more of that executed yeah there's there, i mean she's kind of like yoda right there's there's a mischievousness there mm-hmm. and there's there's wisdom there and i would have yeah i would definitely would have liked to have seen that explored a little bit more and i'm sure we'll you know we'll probably get more in episode nine i feel like with the direction going back to jj abrams he's going to kind of pick up the pieces of what he laid down and, you know, like, Maz Kanata, maybe that's more like, all right, that's JJ's character. That's not Ryan Johnson's character. You know, and ma- I feel like we're going to get maybe more of these threads that JJ laid out. Kind of come back full circle. So that's kind of my hope for Maz. That, that would be nice. I would, li- I would like to see a little bit more of Maz next time around. Uh, what about uh, Phasma? Uh, You're a big Phasma fan. 
<laughs> how do you, how do you feel about the way she's been handled, not just in the movies, but as a whole, including the the books and comics? It's so it's so unfortunate because you have someone like Gwendolyn Christie who's amazing. You have a character design that is so cool. Um, it was you know it's not Phasma's fault, right? I feel like. It's definitely, it's in the writing. It was in the execution of the character. You know, I really wanted to see, you know, her really be kind of, yeah, the the emotional, the ghost, the antagonist to Finn's development. And it's there. It's just, you know, Finn's growing and then she's just kind of like the final boss of his story, right? It's just like he gets to her at the end, defeats her, and now he's a new person. Or he's, you know, he's, he's growing. Um, yeah, he's slayed his past. He's he's beaten his dragon. Right, it, it, but like, it's yeah, it's so unfortunate. Actually, I don't know if you remember this. Um, back when the Force Awakens came out, you guys, yeah, you guys did kind of like a an open source, like, hey, if you guys want to send in a, a, an opening crawl, we'll read it. Yada yada yada. And that was kind of like right before I, I joined in with on uh, with you guys in, in the Telling Saber. But for my opening crawl, you know, I think one of my paragraphs was like. The First Order has sent Phasma after Finn, right? And I think it would have been cool to have her kind of be more of like, yeah, like a, a bounty hunter type, you know, like his literal past trying to catch up to him as opposed to just her sitting around the ship waiting for Finn to show up and beat her in two minutes. <laughs> yeah, which again is, is a little bit strange. He was this kid fresh out of coma and he takes out Captain Phasma, the baddest stormtrooper who's ever lived. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Made, made, a cool, made for a cool moment. I'll, I'll give Finn that. I love Finn. And, you know, if, I, if I have to pick a winner, who, I, who do I like to see win that fight? I'm going to give it to Finn every time. But I feel like there could have been more of the, the specter of Phasma looming for Finn across the trilogy. Yeah. I think, I think that, yeah, he would have been, it would, he would have been better served had she yeah, been his ghost throughout the three movies. And like that would have been a nice fuller complete arc. Because now it's kinda like he slayed his demons and now he's just kinda gonna help take down the First Order, I guess. So there's really kind of like the emotional arc is kinda done from what I see. Um unless there's more to yeah. it. But it's just what, yeah, what is what's left for Finn to do? And of course you can give him something to do, but naturally it's it's taking out Phasma, which was the kind of the big thing that you would you would expect from from Finn going all the way back to TFA. So that's a, yeah. I, I thought that was a, I'm actually more upset about Phasma's death than I am about Snoke's. Mm. I feel like one I feel like Snoke's death, which we'll get to, made more sense than Phasma's. Oh yeah, which maybe is a bit of a hot take. No, I I I, I tend to agree with you. I think just as far as serving the character development, yeah. And but also to be fair, this uh, this new trilogy is so packed with characters that I I feel yes. like some things need to end earlier because now that we're now that we're going into the finale of the story, the focus really is Ray and Kylo, right? So I feel like that's where we're going to spend most of our time. And had they finished up any of the other stories in Episode Nine, it probably would have felt rushed within those two and a half hours. Yeah, we'd be saying, "Oh, geez, I didn't spend enough time on Kylo and Rey. All this build up, and you know, they only got like two scenes together." 
Exactly. So I feel like we're... Yeah, no, I, I did like the the thinning of the herd, at least on the villain side. Mm-hmm. It, it's going to put a lot of increased focus on Kylo and I guess to a lesser degree Hux mm-hmm. and maybe whatever other bad guys they want to slip into the mix here late in the game. But um, yeah, for, for Phasma, I feel like it the character was really unevenly treated. I mean, we know that she rolled over in TFA and it was that was like embarrassing and they tried to correct that in the four-part miniseries by saying by you know having her track down uh, or, or cover her tracks I suppose mm-hmm. in a very ruthless way. And then the, the 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 novel which I have not read and then back to the screen where she shows up and summarily gets dismissed like the stormtrooper plays T-ball with her head. Yeah. <laughs> and she and she's gone. Or I mean maybe she's not, right? Uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Should be one, Maybe one JJ says, no, I, I love Phasma. I'm bringing her back. She'll be a bit dinged up, but I'm bringing her back. Because I, I, you know, I feel like JJ, when, you know, they, they designed Phasma and they said, oh man, this is cool. Like, we got to get this in the movie. We don't have a part for her. Just shoehorn her. She's, she's somewhere, you know, she's, she's a high ranking stormtrooper. Done. Boom. Like, I feel like they, they put her in because she looked really cool. Not that she served a specific purpose. Right. And that, and that's certainly the wrong way to go for a character. You want to do story overlook. Always. Mm-hmm. And I feel I feel like I, I'm bummed that they didn't serve, do that character better justice. Now, a lot of people may disagree. And I'm, I know a lot of people will. But, uh, yeah, for me, the character just felt totally flat. But let's talk about... Uh, let's stay on, on with the First Order, and we'll talk about uh, the Snoke and Kylo dynamic. How shocked were you to see Kylo, or to see Kylo do what he did and take out his boss? Yeah, I was again just a moment where I was speechless watching it. I I I was like, oh, okay. So I guess because you know in our mind TFA is like, okay, here's our our emperor figure, right? Here is the the puppet master, right? And to see that cut down, you know, h- halfway through the trilogy, um is definitely shocking um but you know in hindsight when you look back at, at kylo's growth it, it, it makes sense um you know snoke again you know that's that was another one of the fan built up questions right like who is snoke you know again but also this is kind of like this ties into also just that legacy right i mean does snoke really need to be so-and-so or this person or that person i mean well yeah this is where i feel like fandom this is on fans who are not happy about snoke and his death well they they built up this character of snoke and they did this and that and no they didn't (laughs) there's been no build-up to snoke they've gone out of their way to say his backstory is not important he's not a sith he's not plagueis for all intents and purposes you know snoke was a nobody he was all we knew is that he was Kylo's boss and he was really powerful in the force. That's it. We weren't promised any more with this guy. Right. And I think it what's really cool is that, I mean it it is kind of like a a misdirect, right? Or just kind of you get this grandiose sense from him, but to, you know ultimately he means nothing because the story is about Kylo and Rey. Um you know, there's always going to, I think all, another theme is, I mean, there's always going to be 
a a big bad. There's always going to be something. Um and and the light comes up to meet it, like Snoke said. Like it, it's a cycle. Um so I kind of just like that. It's like I I I kind of had a lost words there, but like it's um it's a really cool development. It it's different. It's um you know, it's a different kind of villain. Right. Yeah. For, you know, for once, we like, it's it's not the puppet master. Yeah. In the in in the driver's seat. Now it's like this unhinged lunatic, at the you know with his finger on the trigger of this huge army. What is he going to do? Like, how unpredictable is Kylo? He's been completely all over the map. So what is he going to do in Episode Nine now that he has all of these seemingly limit limitless resources? And I think that makes things so much more interesting than, well, his boss is still there. Uh, he's still a jerk, and he's still bullying Kylo left, right, and center. So I know how this plays out. Kylo's going to turn on Snoke at some point. Like, it really leads you by the nose down this very predictable path. Exactly. You know, we don't want to re. I mean, again, one of the big complaints about Force Awakens: oh, too much like New Hope, too much like the new, the original original trilogy. So, but I mean, so if they went against, if they went with this rule of two, you know, you're going to take down the apprentice and then take down the 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 puppet master the, the you know it it it's too much of the same um and i think they really needed to set themselves apart here yeah and i, I think they've done that in a very uh, obviously done in a very stunning way but i think it also in a very very much a way that makes sense where you have kylo who's doing nothing but trying to find some belonging just like ray and he's being—he's—he's he's constantly being rejected by these father figures in his life, and he just keeps killing them. <laughs> you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's Han. He killed Han. Now he's killed Snoke. He wanted to do his best to kill out Luke, who I guess you could argue what what was a father figure for at least a time in his life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's now simple. now what yeah. is? Where does he focus his hatred now? To so that's the thing, right? I mean. He has all this hatred, and now he's a loose cannon. I mean, that's some of the... I mean, just think about our own, you know, Earth's history. World War II. All, all these, you know, great tragedies. It's these horrible people with all this wrath, and it's just blindly shot out. And, and it does destruction to anyone, anywhere. Um... So here's this person who's just kind of unleashed on the galaxy with just all this built up um, hate and sense of betrayal. And he just wants revenge. And honestly, I think he just wants revenge against the world. Yeah. And that was the story we were given about Snoke is that he he just wants to lash out. He just wants to, you know, the pain that was caused on him, caused to him, he just wants to take that same pain and turn it around on everybody else tenfold. I feel like Kylo's maybe back in, in that same spot, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that means he's going to be um, prone to make the same arrogant mistake that Snoke did in, in ignoring ignoring what's going on right in front of him, right? Because I, I think in what, you know, again, one of, one of the most divisive moments of this movie, you know, when Kylo is turning the saber in his hand and and Snoke is doing like the, the play-by-play, Oh, and he turns the saber and he's about to like press the button, pull the trigger and make his kill. And <laughs> Kylo's doing this like sleight of hand, 
that's that Snoke doesn't see. Um, yeah, I I I, th- I thought that that moment was again maybe I'm being a homer, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought that was pretty slick. I I don't know. I again I loved it. I'm curious um, if there was any puppet mastering on Snoke's part there, right? I mean, at this point, Snoke was. I mean, earlier in the film, Snoke was really pushing Kylo take off that mask and you know he was really berating him it almost felt like he was pushing him purposefully so you got to think i mean you know we're we are getting so another thing with the last jedi is we, we are getting a lot of new force powers a lot of new things that can be done with the force you know we don't necessarily know you know to this moment you know we understand that generally light side users can become force ghosts and that's it but in almost like a, a an opposite way it could be interesting that if if snoke found a way to transcend on the dark side and if maybe dark side users can only communicate with dark side users after they've passed you know so be curious if maybe it was snoke's plan to die i think that would be an interesting twist Mm, that would be so cool um because now we have luke is dead and mentoring ray from beyond most likely that's what i'm going to assume and then, and then possibly Snoke dead, mentoring Kylo, in the end, possibly. Hmm, that is that's that's a pretty cool idea because previously, I mean, we, Sith could not come back in any type of ghost way, but this guy's not Sith, right? He's not Sith, and also, I mean, we 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 assume that Sith can't come back in a ghost form because we haven't seen it yet. Also, our only lens of reference have been light side users. Um, so a dark force user isn't going to come to them, but maybe if there's already a dark side user who's alive, and now that we have Kylo as like a, a point person, a point character, you know, we're following him just as much as we're following Ray. maybe we'll see some of that. Yeah, not, that's a good point. Did you, uh, so when I, when I first watched that scene where Kylo, I, I don't even know what the word is, but bisects <laughs> Snoke. There was a second where I thought like Snoke is going to like almost laugh this off. Mm. Did you get that? I, yeah. I mean, I didn't believe that he was dead. I mean, again, I think that's just how we're trained as moviegoers. And we just assume the big bad is until the end. Right. So there was like, I just, I couldn't trust him. I, I couldn't trust what I was watching. And I think also that's, I think that's part of what led to a lot of people to a lot of people's disappointment in, in the film in general. It was all so new. We didn't feel like we didn't know what we could trust. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't. I, yeah, I thought, oh, this is just kind of this is a, a fleeting thing, and Snoke is just going to be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> you, you traitorous little apprentice! Like, yeah, he would just, or maybe he had some force power to heal himself and. Mm-hmm. The lightsaber would have meant nothing. But that turn, right, as soon as Snoke died, and now we got Kylo and we got Rey after the the Praetorian guards? Is that... Oh, those poor Praetorian guards. Yeah, I mean, just but that moment, right, back to back, I was like, I'm watching this, I'm like, we're only in the second movie of the trilogy. Is this happening? What am I watching? This is so cool, but I'm confused. It was just so many conflicting emotions during that battle. But it was so cool to see and visually stunning. Oh god, it was visually so cool. 
so so cool did you think that ray and kylo were gonna fight at that moment uh, i mean they're standing face to face and i i think daisy ridley did a good job there like she's looking at kylo and i didn't see any like wink wink like let's take these guys down i thought i saw like what's he gonna do mm-hmm. i and then they, they, you know they just like the, sh- the shot pans out and they both go back to back and i was like oh money shot perfect it really was just a great tension build i mean even in that split second we were like i don't know what they're gonna do are they gonna fight each other just like you said and yeah i don't know it just took so many turns the beats in that scene were just so good and they wrote me in yeah because like you know i I was talking about in our, our first review episode like the rolodex of information i have in my brain and what i know about this movie or what i think i know and there's you know there's Ray and Kylo, and they're teaming up here. Now, is this because this is a new allegiance, or is this sort of a, a, a union of convenience in this moment? And I'm trying mm-hmm. to put it into context and, and looking ahead. What else do I know about this movie? And I don't know that there's any further shots of Kylo. Oh, no, actually, no, that's not true. That's There's the shot of him storming the mine on Crate. Right. Well, we knew Crate was so- coming. Right. So I feel like, you know, we knew that there was still going to be conflict down the line. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is not going to last. What, I, I, how this falls up, this union falls apart. But yeah. But it couldn't have lasted. And, you know, I thought about seeing Kylo's shuttle just hovering there on, on, over the salt, of flat, uh, the salt flats of, of Crate going, yeah, I mean, this, this really can't last. But they, they've, they've kind of crossed that threshold. You know, this is what I'm thinking in that moment. This is this is before Kylo goes full madman. Going, with, they've they've crossed this threshold. They've worked together. They've have they ironed this out? Are they close allies at this point? But again, Ryan Johnson kind of kicking out the legs from under us and and really putting us on unequal footing. Like we again, we we don't know where this is going. Nope, not at all. And. Uh... And I, you know, it's it's great because it was obvious Ray had no idea where this was going either, um, but she was kind of going with the flow, you know, going with the punches. Um, but that that moment of like, you know, when when Kylo was trying to convince her to come with him and 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 burn the past down, and she's just like, you know, don't do this, Ben. Just that acting on her part was so, oh, it was so visceral. I loved it. I think one of the best things about this movie, and to me, there's there's so much to love about this movie. The acting is just so good across the board. Like Ryan Johnson pulled everybody's best out of them. I think absolutely. Uh, I mean, yeah. I I couldn't even tell you who who put on the best performance because there really were. I mean, I think between Mark Hamill, Daisy Ridley, and and um, Adam Driver, I think you get three world class performances there. And then beyond that, you have Carrie Fisher and Oscar Isaac, uh, even Donald Gleason. He was he was pretty good too. I mean, mm-hmm. not to the same level as the f- first three, but right across. Like I can't think of one person who I would go, eh, eh they kind of mailed this in. Nope, everyone was giving it their all. It was uh, I just you, kind of looking back, and now I feel like I oh, I got to see it a third time now, but um. <laughs> It's just everyone really put so much love into it, I think. 
Oh yeah, I I, I think so. And again, we're, I'm still kind of in this honeymoon period mm-hmm. with this movie, but <sighs> I mean, we say honeymoon, but I mean, you know, I I think we're you know we we do a pretty good job, I think, at at analyzing it for what it is, right? I mean, we could we could still admit its faults and love it at the same time. Yeah, I yeah sure. I mean, I'll be honest at this point. I I don't see a ton of faults in this movie. Like, there's some things I could kind of nitpick a little bit over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean, the faults for me are nitpicks too, right? It's not these grand, you know, structural faults in the plot or anything that I could say. I you know. Yeah, no, I. I... Like a lot of people have various varying complaints and power to them. So many, I just I look at them and I'm like, are we are we talking about the same movie? Like, am I an idiot? What? Why don't I see at all what you're seeing? Right. Like we both love. Like I'm, you know, reading somebody's post on Facebook or um, a review online, and I'm like, am I just dumb? Am I naive? Am I a bad movie watcher or too much of a of a homer? Why do I not understand what you're writing? And I guess I don't know. Maybe it just comes down to subjectivity. If, some, if something lands with you, then it, it works for you. And if not, then it it just it wasn't to your taste. That's it. Right. It's subjectivity. Some people like broccoli, and some people don't. <laughs> right. It's subjectivity, but it's also you know again I think fundamentally it's expectations versus reality. For a lot of you know I think some people just have an easier time going with the flow versus I had all these theories, none of them were right. I don't quite, or just the, un, the you know, or the discomfort with the unfamiliar, right? Star Wars doesn't usually go this way. Um, no. So yeah, I think that, I think that's a big part of this, that it's supposed, there's supposed to be a Star Wars checklist. There's supposed to be a list of things that you get in a Star Wars movie. And in a lot of ways, we did not get some of those things in this movie. In fact, we would get the opposite. But I feel like we also did, I mean, you know, Ryan also did tug on those nostalgia heartstrings. I mean, we haven't even talked about Yoda yet or um, the Obi-Wan Kenobi message. The Sidious was mentioned. The soundtrack, which is littered, littered with cues and and callbacks to the OT. Mm Mm-hmm. It's stuffed with them. There, there, there could be more OT stuff than than new stuff in the soundtrack. Oh, absolutely. I, like, what did you think of the soundtrack? Quickly. Oh, uh, my. Uh, briefly, I think my my favorite piece is I I think it's called the spark. It's it's on crate, and it's just those few fleeting notes of the Imperial March, and it's it's beautiful. It was in the trailer too. Um, that's probably my favorite bit of the soundtrack. I think it was so beautiful, you know, under kind of like the newer soundtrack. It was gorgeous. What about you? Oh boy. I, I like the, uh, Jedi steps on a, on a, just amped up just a little bit. Um, having, hearing Yoda's theme again, mm. that, that really hit home with me. And well, Ray's theme always works for me, no matter what. Leia's theme, that that came up at least twice in the in the soundtrack. No, I, I could take that all day long. 
and you know what I think I think really took a step forward in this film is uh, March of the Resistance. Uh, yeah, I think that that took ten steps forward in this soundtrack. I love just the so much grander. Scene. Yes, I didn't really i I liked it. Actually, my son loves that song. He loves that cue to death, and it's yeah. You know, it was always like, oh, it's pretty cool, I guess. But in this movie, he John Williams really cranked it up. Absolutely. Uh, uh, what did you think of the overall? frequency of the use of humor the the type of humor did, did that work for you or was it a bit much not all of the humor hit but none the humor none of it was so jarring to me that it took me out of the film i thought the hux thing with poe the holding for hux i thought was hysterical um it, agreed it's for me it's in line with poe right i mean do you talk first? Do I talk first? Like it's it's there. It's it's his it's it's his way of stalling. It's his way of banter. Oh, I'm not afraid of you. That's what he does. And I I I thought that was hysterical. Um, I think the only way that would have been funnier is if he had called him a, a pasty ginger. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would have died. Uh, I know some people say it's too much earth humor, but I I don't know. It, I have to look back at, at the original trilogy and, and and how much of the seventies seeped into Star Wars. I mean, go back, yeah, well, go back and watch it. It's a very seventies movie. Yeah, you know, I, this wasn't a humorous part, but there's a there is Holdo's line where she says "Godspeed, Rebels," and people didn't like Godspeed. If you don't like Godspeed for you know for whatever reason. Maker speed? I don't know. <laughs> what would you say? <laughs> I mean, then, then you can't like Han's line of "Then I'll see you in hell." Right. Like if if you have a problem with a with God in in Star Wars, then you probably have you should have a problem with hell as well. Absolutely. I think it's just Those... because it's Han. No one's going to say something bad about Harrison Ford. <laughs> you know, it's it's of course, no, it's a nostalgia thing. It, that's what that's yeah. really what it is. Um, there were a couple of moments, though, spe- you know, just about the humor. I think the Porg hitting the window was a little silly for me. Um, the BB-8 on the walker I thought was a little silly. What yes, I, I come at both of those from different angles because those ty- – yes, for me, if, you know, as a as, – as, you know, if I was not a father, I'd be like, eh, okay. I know who that's aimed at. But now I – you know, I, my kids have seen the Porg up against the window. And they just squeal they with it. glee every time they see it. Yeah. I go, and yeah, it, it works for kids. And that's who that was for. Exactly. I mean, Star Wars is for everybody, right? I mean, like, Star. I mean, it, this isn't Deadpool, right? It's not going to be an R-rated superhero flick for adults only. You know, this is a family film. It could get dark, sure. But it's also going to have those moments of just silly humor. And it's okay. It's, if it's not for you, then just, I don't know, you don't, you don't have to fast forward it. Just watch the movie and, you know, it's over in a second. <laughs> you know, it's not, you know. Learn to like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to like, I don't know. It's not going to shorten your life by watching it. <laughs> it definitely not. It, it might actually extend your life if you learn to laugh a little bit. Yeah. People just need to cheer up. Cheer up, people. <laughs> loosen up have some fun it's a movie we love it to death <laughs> but it's it's a movie 
Uh, did we hit on every, every, all the mo- like the biggest people here? Um, we didn't really talk about Yoda. Uh, that's the only thing. I, yeah, I loved that scene. Mm. Um, so the sec- so some- something funny I did during the second viewing, I, I kind of like I love watching audience reactions, and I was like I was kind of a little bit of a creep about it. I would I pretend to stretch and I just kind of like peeked at the seats behind me. And just to see how people and people, it's just everyone was in awe of seeing Puppet Yoda on the screen again. It felt like Empire Strikes Back. It felt just seeing that relationship again between Yoda and Luke. Um, it just you could see kind of the magic resonating in, in, in people's eyes. Like it was that that was such a ah that was such a transcending experience. Not to sound all like hoity-toity about it. But just to see that movie magic working on a giant auditorium full of people and people were just, it was just quiet. People were just taking it in and loving every second of Yoda being on the screen again. Yeah, like I, I, not not to belabor the point because I said it in the last episode, but I feel like Ryan Johnson nailed the dialogue. And I don't know if maybe Frank Oz helped him pen out that scene. But to me, it, it just feels like Luke and Yoda were right back on Dagobah. Yeah. It just it just felt so natural between the, the two of them. And I feel like Yoda really dropped a lot of gold in those scenes, it, or at least in that in that one scene. It was just unbelievable that you know the first time nothing even registered because I was like, whoa, like Yoda just dropping wisdom bombs everywhere. Second time I took in a little bit more, but I you know, I almost feel like the whole movie is like that where there's just a lot of dense dialogue that you need to it might take multiple viewings for it all to soak in yeah yeah i mean i think the biggest takeaway from yoda for me was just that you know failure is the greatest lesson right i mean that is the point right we because this whole film is about choices right so our choices might be wrong but it's okay if we learn from them and move on you know, that's the point, you know, there's nothing wrong with failure. You have to just, but you have to learn from it. Um, and I think, I know a lot of people, I mean, I know James specifically, you know, said like the Jedi weren't supposed to fail, right? I mean, there's this idealistic um, view of the Jedi, but here you have Yoda saying, you know, again, no one is perfect. The Jedi failed. You had a failure and that's okay. You know, we just have to pass on what we've learned. Yeah, pass, yeah, exactly. And and, and the end, end of the conversation, uh, we are what they grow beyond. Yeah, the, the master is what, uh, I forget exactly, but yeah, they are what we grow beyond. Yeah. I thought that was that beautiful. Is, that is the ma- that is the burden of a, of a master or something like that. Yeah, some, yeah, yeah, something like that. That's where the master part came in. Uh, it, beautiful. I think probably... I almost hate to say it, but probably one of my favorite Yoda moments, right? Even beyond Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Like, I, oh, God, I love that. I love that scene so much. You know, there's a common question of, uh, in Star Wars fandom. Like, if you were going to get a Star Wars tattoo, a line of Star Wars dialogue tattooed on you, like, that line is going to be on that list. If it's not in the next few months, it will be in the next few years. That line will be part of that conversation. I, I now I wonder if we're gonna get Yoda again, even for a fleeting moment in 
episode nine. Like I, I definitely see Luke coming to Ray. I feel like that has to happen. I don't think we've seen the end of Mark Hamill. No. Um, <laughs> I think there's a void there that needs to be filled, right? Unfortunately, with Carrie Fisher out of the picture, I feel like we need a, a sense of the original trilogy still there. Um, but, yeah, they they got to give us just one last bite. It would be interesting if kind of how Anakin, Obi Wan, and Yoda came to luke it would be cool to see maybe ray see luke maybe maybe if she sees yoda i i would i i'm still banking on hopefully seeing obi-wan i would love to see you and mcgregor done up like um uh why am i blanking on his name alec guinness Guinness. i would love to see yeah you and mcgregor look like alec guinness which i think is very possible they just gotta do what they did for the prequels and just age them um yeah ryan johnson did touch on that and you know, people said why wasn't he in this he said well of course you know of course i would have loved to have gotten kenobi in there but i would have had to have used uh ewan mcgregor and it just he, he i think he kind of rationalized it as in it would have looked weird right i mean and don't don't quote me but something to, to that effect that yeah it's it's you know if it was alec, if alec guinness was still around sure but you know it, it's 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 two people that have not really interacted together before so nah i mean they could always cg alec guinness like they did with tarkin that's an option um but i feel like even using ewan mcgregor i mean it's not any weirder than throwing um hayden christensen in return of the jedi <laughs> you know i feel like that was weird but yeah i feel like this little bit. this makes a little more sense i mean i feel like enough time has passed in real time um and technology is a little better. I mean, makeup is amazing. There, there's great things that they can do with aging you and McGregor. Uh, it could maybe it's something that'll that'll be in the cards for nine. I mean, we we want you and McGregor back on screen really badly, right? And maybe this is the place to do and it. And if we get a Kenobi film, it's even more of a. I mean, it's pretty. I mean, people pretty much are in, in, in agreement on he was perfect in that role, right? I think I feel like it could be forgiven. To have an older Ewan McGregor play, you know, Obi-Wan. I, I feel like it makes, I mean, it, I, I can't imagine there being a backlash. Oh, there'd be some. I mean, come on. I mean, there'd be some, <laughs> but not a 50,000 signed petition. Uh, you never know. Uh, that's my wishful, you never know. wishful thinking. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's start to wind things down here a little bit. Um, where is this going? Because now... I think one of the coolest and healthiest things about this movie is that we are without a compass. There's no roadmap. If if you know, if we were afraid that JJ was going to rehash the Last Jedi for Episode Nine, which was a huge concern, given the petitions that are out there to to have him removed as director, uh, that's gone. I mean, Ryan Johnson took JJ to a left JJ in a place where fundamentally you can't remake episode six it's impossible so where are we headed here um so starting the speculation train um i would love to see because we got nothing of the knights of ren in this film we got a, a, a reference i think from snoke if i remember correctly um but i i would love to see maybe they're off somewhere and kylo maybe taps into 
that as a as a final resource um because he's going to need some people on his side right not just the first order because it's going to be too much of the same um so oh and, and there's also the the luke said that you know uh, Kylo took off with a handful of his students and killed the rest. Right. So, there, so there's that theory that the people that that Kylo took off with are the Knights of Ren. They're they're form, Luke's former Jedi apprentices. I mean, that's what I assumed with the Force Awakens was those they were the people that he took with him. I mean, that's what I was thinking since you know a couple of years ago. Um, so I think it's very possible. I mean, I know some people thought they might have been the guards, but I feel like the guards weren't Force you know, wielding. So that kind of got ruled out in my head canon. I don't think that's a possibility. Um, I agree. But see, it, so it also depends on how much time unfolds, right? Like, I don't think enough time is going to pass where the kids on Canto Bite are old enough to be trained. So, but visually speaking, I would love to see Ray with Padawans versus Kylo with the Knights of Ren. That I think visually would be really cool. It would be a really cool way to kind of send off to the future, right? We have this new slew of Jedi that we can follow. Um, it, yeah, I mean, I think that would be a powerful statement, right? Visually speaking, right? The Jedi are back um, in whatever different form, different uh, doctrine, whatever it is. Um, but I feel like too much time would have to pass for that to happen. So, do you, do you do you necessarily think that we are jumping ahead significantly in time? Like, I, I I would say like you know a couple months, a couple weeks is not a significant jump. Do you think we're going two plus years into the future? I would like to see that because I mean it makes sense between seven and eight to have like a week. I honestly I think it was a it's been a matter of days because really I. The First Order knows where they are, right? Hence, that's why they're evacuating. I mean, but they knew where they were at the end of The Force Awakens, right? They were aiming their, you know, they were aiming Starkiller Base to fire. I can't imagine that they were sitting on that knowledge too long. Um, you know, and then attack Dakar. So, I feel like it would be nice to have a nice break, Right, give Ray some time to study those books. Give whatever uh, you know, Kylo enough time to rally his troops. Um, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> That's just it. I don't know what I think. It, it could um, be anything, right? It could be anything, and I love it. I there's a lot of fans who are uncomfortable right now because we we don't know. Like they feel like that this is sort of directionless, and I kind of like that. That's the best kind of story. I mean, I don't want to go in knowing X, Y, and Z is going to happen, right? Like, I, I, I want to be surprised. I want this to to take me in a new direction, and and I just want to go with it. I want to, you know, I don't want to know what's going to happen. I don't want to have. I don't want it to have to follow a formula. Yeah, I mean, they're, 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 this this will be one of the first things we learn. At some point, I, I would imagine in the next couple of months that, you know, when, you know, once JJ's really firmed up his script, they'll something, some news will will slip out that, or be released that, uh, episode nine takes place, you know, blank in the future. Yeah, I mean that was one of the first things we learned about the Last Jedi is like we knew 
quite some time ago that it was going to pick up immediately after. Like, yeah. way before any trailer or picture or anything. Like, I feel like we almost knew... I mean, this might be a, an exaggeration, but I feel like we almost knew months after The Force Awakens that that was what was going to happen. Yeah, I you, I think you're totally right. I don't think they, they hid that from us for very long. Uh, this... I, I have no clue, man, and I don't. I don't even know what makes sense, to be honest with you. If if, if you want to, you know, you think of Episode Nine, and you think of huge epic space battles, all these capital ships dogpiling on each other, uh, lightsaber battles. That's kind of the way we see Episode Nines, right? Like the, the climax of a trilogy needs to be grand on every level. So right. if that's the case, then yeah, then the Resistance obviously needs to make new friends or at least rally the ones they had out uh where, where outer rim outer reaches in the outer, outer rim reaches. i mean yeah they need to regroup completely they're completely depleted <laughs> at this point yeah there's, there's literally like 12 people there's left. nothing left yeah it, it's it's hard to even get your mind around that there's not there's nobody left the resistance has been reduced to a few people and uh in the visual dictionary this is an interesting note, which maybe plays into episode nine, but uh, Snap Wexley and a few members of, of Black Squadron were sent off on a mission. Uh, see, okay, here's something funny. I thought Snap died in the original battle because there's a pilot that looks just like him that blew up. And I, and I turned to Dan. I was like, did they just kill Snap? Like, I had, and, and I was like, I don't know what was going on. <laughs> maybe that was, maybe if, if I mean, I don't. I don't know the actor you're you're thinking of, but if that was the intention, maybe that maybe that was it. Like this could be Snap Wexley if you know if, if we don't want to ever write a piece for him again. But it turns out in the Visual Dictionary, uh, he and a few members of Black Squadron were sent off on some sort of mission before the the uh, escape from Dakar. Oh wow! Okay, I, I, so I, that I would could like play that. into nine. Yeah, yeah. I because I really like Snap. I mean. You know, Dan didn't read all the aftermath novels, but I feel like, yeah, I mean, we, you, and you and I read them, and I, we, you know, we followed this whole trilogy with him, and now he's in the the Poe Dameron comics. Um, yeah, I would hate to see him go in just like a quick manner, you know, some kind of resolution. Yeah. So, I mean, do you agree that Nine kind of has to have that that feel of of grand epic finale? Um. See, they could surprise us. They surprise us with this one. Um, yeah, they could close ranks, right? They could make this really, really cut close to the bone with intimacy and 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 personal exploration, and and make it a super super dense mm-hmm. movie on that personal front. But I I feel like the reason reasoning it won't be so much like that is because we we really got that with this film, and I, and I think that was the point, right? Force Awakens was a quick action packed intro. All right, let's flesh out these characters. All right, now that we've raised the stakes, action out. You know, and uh, um, yeah. I mean, again, also just the rule of trilogies and and series, right? The, the ending chapters always got to be something big. Um, but again, what that what the definition of big is might be different to JJ this time around. Yeah, uh, and that's the other thing. Like JJ does big pretty well. Mm-hmm. I don't know that he does up close and personal super well. Right. So that's why I feel like it makes sense to have him back for maybe the big closeout. 
you know? And, and, which means it probably makes sense for there to be some kind of time jump. And I know people are going, well, duh, you dummy. Of course, there has to be a time jump. I don't think it's that simple. Mm-hmm. I think it's maybe likely just so that they can, you know, reset the decks here. Right. It's not absolutely necessary, but I think it, it, it makes sense given what they have to work with with Carrie Fisher and just again, the rebuilding of the troops. And there's just so much that needs to happen in order for it to make sense for them to go, you know, head to head with the first order again. Um, But also I would love to, so they put out the call to the outer rim um, and they didn't get answered right away, obviously because everything's happening in real time. And again, at the outer rim so far out, you know, it's going to take a long time for people to get to them anyway. Um, but I would love to and, see... Yeah, nobody nobody replied, right? No one replied. Like, yeah. It was quiet. But I would like... That would be a cool way to get Lando back. Um, right. Get Maz Kanata back in the fold. Um, get all these allies that are out there. Um, these resources that they can really tap into. <laughs> because there's no other choice, right? No, I mean, they need people. Yeah. And I, you wonder what Kylo's doing with the, with the First Order? Because I feel like Kylo has no desire to sort of be like the political head maybe that's that's hux's thing now he's sort of fitting into that role of of galactic dictator whereas kylo is is still pursuing his goal of you know revenge yeah i guess i mean that's a cool dynamic too hux and kylo right hux is trying to play by the book right and then kylo is just like blow him to hell you know (laughs) and it's it's an interesting tug of war between those two. It's I, I don't think it's so much antagonistic. It's more of just fundamental differences in leadership and 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 motivation. Mm, yeah, yeah. I I I can get on board with right, that. It's not like a Krennic Tarkin situation. It's it's very different. So does so let's assume that our heroes kind of line up with a, a new group of a, a ragtag fleet pirates. I don't know how they do this, but is Finn suddenly Captain Finn or are we back to Commander or Major Dameron? Like is everybody like Star Wars specializes in that, right? Like you, right. you show up, hey, oh, you're ready ready to help? How do you want you how does general sound? You want to be a general? <laughs> you're you're a general. What do you what would you like to be? Yeah, I don't think Poe is demoted anymore. I, I really think that was a temporary setback just to kind of give him that character growth. I think when we come back, we're going to see Poe having learned his lesson from The Last Jedi. Um, and, and we're going to see him more in a leadership role. With Finn, see, he's still kind of on the outskirts, right? I mean, he's an, he was an outsider in The Force Awakens doing his thing. He was an outsider on a side mission here. Um, again, if there's that time jump, maybe he'll be more in a leadership role. Um, kind of in the way how Han Solo kind of came up and became a leader. Um, I don't know. It's really tough. It's <laughs> and Ray, Ray is is studying those books. Ray is Ray. I don't think Ray is really has any part of the resistance per se. Like as far as like commander or general, any of that stuff. Um, she's kind of. Do you think she's kicking around with the resistance, or she she's kind of said her goodbyes and she's off somewhere else? I feel like she well I feel like she needs some solitude, right? Um I feel like she might go back to the first temple 
maybe she'll go back to um uh totally blanking act two. act two maybe she'll go back to act two um not necessarily she doesn't have to because like yoda kind of you know blazed up the the tree and all that so there's really not much there unless she has the books with her um so maybe she yeah and i i think the, the last jedi if if anything was was about burning that old jedi legacy down right there's nothing like, she has I, to go I think, to yeah there's i don't think there's any reason for us as as an audience to keep you know clinging to this old jedi stuff i think she's pushing ahead mm-hmm. and she's she's sort of the the you know ground zero of the new jedi right and so maybe if she goes somewhere else not so much because of what's there but maybe she just needs a space to to teach herself to maybe commune with luke um you know she kind of has to train herself now and and learn what the original jedi thought um and how she can adapt that to the situation they're in now there there was an old rumor it's not that old it's only it's from some point this year that we were going back to jakku in episode 9 and obviously this is when Colin Trevorrow was still mm. writing with with uh, what's his face, Derek Connolly, mm-hmm. and I th- yeah, I think that was what was going on. That Jakku was back in the picture. I don't see it if if, if they do go back to Jakku, I don't see it being like an entire act of the film. I, I could I could see something more subtle. Maybe Ray is saying goodbye to Jakku. Um, maybe Ray goes back for just some closure. Yeah, maybe like we could see, open with her at her parents' grave or something like that. Right, or 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 the ATAT where she slept. Uh, maybe she goes and just looks at her old things. Um, and maybe get, she, get her old toothbrush, her old toothbrush. But maybe her her uh, rebel helmet that she's uh, put on for fun. Um, her little X wing doll, her X wing pilot doll. Um, whatever, you know, whatever. Maybe she's got a bone to pick with, uh, Unker plot. Um, but I don't know. I could see it maybe just being like, you know, like a quick five minute, three minute scene. You know, I don't think it's going to be this grand scale, like, oh, back to Jakku. Um, but I mean, also there's that mythology that's built in where Jakku was a base for the, for the empire, right? And they were doing some shady stuff there. So right, aftermath was you know, they they really went pretty deep on that. It was right. it was what, an observatory, right? Right, right. And they were doing you know they were doing their thing. So maybe we'll we'll explore maybe a little bit more because Jakku is kind of where all this started. So kind of how we went back to Tatooine in Episode Six. Maybe we'll do a quick little brushback of Jakku. Oh, there's there's the rehash talk. Uh, I, not who? Well, yeah, but again, but there was a whole act on Tatooine. I don't think they're going to do a full... Like, there's no Jabba the Hutt there. There's no Boba Fett there. There's no big thing happening there. Yeah, there's there's no there's no rescue that needs to happen there. There's no reason to spend 30, 45 minutes. Right. I think it's more of an emotional kind of closure piece if, if we do go back. We, we don't necessarily have to. Again, the whole theme is letting go of the past. So, you know, it's not no, necessary. I was convinced... Remember in in aftermath where it said that Jakku used to be like a green planet just teeming with with green life. Oh yeah, yep. I feel like that was mentioned for a reason. Hmm. I don't I don't know that 
Ray can affect that kind of change. Maybe. Oh, you know what? Maybe she can. Well, it was still a desert planet in aftermath, right? It was. So she like, wasn't was born yet. A long yet. time ago. So a long time ago. You, do you mean she affect, she caused the the green to go away, or you think she can bring the bring green back. back? Yeah. Bring it back, like transform that dust ball into a planet. Because look at that little shot, that one little shot in TFA or uh, the Last Jedi that kind of bothers me when Luke is explaining the Force to Rey, mm-hmm. and we see the shot of the decaying dinosaur bones, and there's that one quick shot of those little plants shooting up from the soil. Yeah, the Force, you know, Force making life grow. I wonder if that's a little foreshadow. Obviously, Ryan Johnson would have no way to know that he was foreshadowing Nine, but would Ray want to go back to Jakku and bring life back to her planet so it's not such a depressing dump? It could be interesting. I don't know. Maybe we pick up with her years later, and that's exactly what she's doing. She's trying to restore life to Jakku. I mean, we are getting all these new kind of looks at what the Force can do. And... um perhaps a part of that could be influencing life on planets um a holistic almost i almost see it as like uh, kind of going a little more pagan there a little holistic earthy um vibe i don't know it's possible anything's possible now <laughs> uh it certainly is <laughs> all right man i think i think we're done for today what are we clocking in about two hours? I think for uh... Uh, somewhere around there, <laughs> somewhere around the two-hour mark. But uh, yeah, another good healthy talk that brings us up to about five hours. <laughs> the last Jedi, just rambly, straight up last Jedi talk. We're clocking in at about five hours now, and you know we still have other members of the team here to work in. We're not. We haven't talked about news in a while. We haven't had any any questions from the powerful friends. No binary sunset. Yeah, man, like this this movie has really, I think more than, definitely more than The Force Awakens and certainly more than Rogue One, given us an awful lot to talk about. It's going to be interesting to see how this conversation evolves over the next two years. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Just to see how this movie is going to change in, in fans' opinions. Can you can you rank this movie? I I don't always, I still haven't done that this exercise I don't know how I feel about ranking Star Wars movies, but it's it's it seems like to be a fun exercise. It's, do you have a slot for it? It's so hard to do. Um, I think I even tweeted, but I was like, uh, I can't. I love them all. Um, but right now, I was just like kind of mulling it over. I have The Force Awakens up top, um, Empire Strikes Back, followed by Last Jedi. So it's up. It's in my top three right now. Um, followed by A New Hope, Rogue One, Return of the Jedi, uh, Revenge of the Sith, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. That's kind of my order. Um, the way I ranked it, I can't, I, I used my photo app in my phone to kind of just do this exercise. I can't put any ties with it because it's just a list of photos. Um, but, uh, I would say there's maybe even a couple of ties in here, but, uh, that's kind of my list at the moment. But it can change. It's very fluid. Oh, yeah. These lists are always subject to change. Just one day you might watch, oh, let me pop in this movie. I haven't watched it in 10 years. Let's see what it's like. Oh, my goodness. It, like Something jumps out at you or five things jump out at you and suddenly you like this movie so much more today. 
and it overtakes it, it. You know, jumps up two spots on your list. I mean, the last Jedi did that after uh, a second watch through. Like after I saw it the first time, it was kind of like in the middle, dead center. Um, and then after I saw it again and really thought about it, yeah, it, it crept its way up to top three. And um, honestly, I could see it becoming maybe my favorite one day yeah we're just gonna have to see how this one ages i mean again we, we've everybody knows about this now but empire really didn't sit well with with a lot of fans at the time it just seemed so off it wasn't a swashbuckling upbeat adventure like a new hope was mm. so it took time for people to appreciate the lore that was built into it and you know making luke darth vader's son what a slap in the face. How could you do that? Turns out it became one of cinema's greatest moments and you know, spawned one, one of the greatest stories in, in cinema history. But if I had to... I, I still don't know if I can rank it, but I, I still have Empire as my first and A New Hope as my second. And I, it's, it's, this has made me think, like, what will it take to drop these two, to knock those two out of their spot? Um... Right now, I have The Last Jedi fighting with Revenge of the Sith and The Force Awakens for third. So that's like that's my jumble from three through five. So re- I guess today, boy, oh boy, I'm I'm still going to stick with Revenge of the Sith at three, then The Last Jedi, then TFA. And then uh, further down the list, I'll go Return of the Jedi, Rogue One, Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones. And that, like I said, that three through five is really subject to change. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's something that could that could just keep flip flopping at any given moment. Right, because you know all these films offer something different. Um, you know, it's funny. Like even though I have Attack of the Clones dead last, you know, I loved kind of the the mystery of Camino, and I loved the way it started with the assassination attempt. And there, there are just things in that film that, that I do love the Django Fett fight. Um, so it's interesting. There, there's something that I look for in each film. It just depends what I'm in the mood for that day dictates what I stream or pop in the, the Blu-ray player or whatever. Um, it's just, it's, you know, I think it just comes with being a star Wars fan. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, just because you know, there's, there's nine movies, and if you're going to rank them, something is going to be at the bottom, and it doesn't mean you hate it. It just right. means that it has to be. It's like somebody's got to lose. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> somebody's got to come in last place, and I think consistently, I've seen Attack of the Clones at the bottom of that list, which is which is which is saying something. Mm. Again, it all comes down to the the overall execution. Right, it's like I loved the story of Attack of the Clones. It just there's just a lot of execution choices that didn't press the right buttons for me. Yep. Again, yeah, I I love the story. I love the arc that it takes, and some but some choices just I can't live with. <laughs> <laughs> I can't deal with. I I keep going back to Obi Wan's flesh wounds that had him unconscious on the ground in and out of consciousness mm. <laughs> two minor flesh wounds and he's just like flat on his back watching Anakin fight for his life I can't get over how 
how dumb that is. <laughs> anyway, Steve, this was awesome, man. I'm glad we got to put, like, we, we, we're burning the midnight oil yet again. And you know, we're podding, podcasting on back-to-back nights. I'm tired. I know you are too. But the holidays are pretty much here. And uh, that's it. Let's punch out of here, man. All right, let's do it. I'm. Thank you again for having me on. Um, it was awesome. Yeah, it was nice to not talk about books for once. Yeah, right. <laughs> Take a little but break. We'll, from we'll be back soon to do that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I have to actually. I have to pick the uh, the next novel. I'm gonna chew down. We'll see. We'll see. We'll have to pick something that maybe we both want to read, and then because we've been basically we've been basically focused on the comics for the most part. So, yeah, I still, you know, in the summer I took a big step back from the novels because none of them were really ringing the bell for me, mm-hmm. and I, I, I don't know if that's it's it's a problem with the writing because they're not just not that compelling, or if it's me because I just insist on getting too many data points. I want too many ties, and I, I just want the Wikipedia of it all. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely, know exactly what you mean. <laughs> So yeah, maybe maybe a novel is in in the offing here, but we'll we'll see. We'll talk about that. Um, so where can people find you on Twitter while uh, they wait for us to get back to the next podcast? On Twitter, I am at Joango Fett. Perfect, and I am at Tumbling Saber on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, come check us out. Don't forget, we have a new Facebook group, which is a lot more open, a much much freer place to to share content and post your thoughts. Uh, so make sure when you search Facebook. You make sure you're in the group and not the page because I'm slowly phasing that page out. Um, and beyond that, make sure, I mean, if you like what we do here, if you like our, our podcasts, if you want to hear more from us, uh, check out our page on Patreon at, at patreon.com slash tumblingsaber. Two, three bucks a month. That's all it takes. And you get a bunch of exclusive podcasts and you're in, in our draws for our monthly giveaway. And sometimes we, we do other random giveaways. I mean, Steve did a random giveaway just last week that Dave Donovan won. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Patreon.com slash Tumbling Saber. Giveaways, exclusive podcasts, a lot more. And just two, three bucks a month, man. Make it a Christmas gift to us. How about that? And uh, that's it. We got we got uh, we might have a break coming up here at Tumbling Saber. I'm I'm wiped out. <laughs> I need a bit of a break, but uh I'm sure we'll put something in the pipeline here soon enough. And if not, it'll be episode 108 will be the next time you hear from us. So uh, we hope you guys had a great Christmas and uh, we'll talk to you all soon on Twitter. Have yourselves a good one and talk soon.
I'm watching you walking away from me. Were you watching? 